Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and welcome to this podcast of Mercy Unbound. Today, I get to speak with Father Tim Byerly. He's vice postulator for the beatification cause of Maria Esperanza. Maria was a mystic who had many apparitions of the Blessed Mother and uh, had the gift of healing, discernment, the uh, appearance of uh, rose petals would appear. People around her would smell the scent of roses. She could read souls. She had the gift of bilocation and discernment and uh, was an incredible mystic. In uh, Batania, Venezuela, there was a Eucharistic miracle as well. And we're going to talk about all that today on Mercy Unbound. I hope you enjoy the show. Please subscribe and share with all your friends. God bless. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and welcome to Mercy Unbound. It's a show that aims to provide hope and avenue for healing, and one that will help you and hopefully help you learn and understand the great mercy of God. Uh, today, I have with me Father Timothy Barley from uh, New Jersey. He's a pastor at St. Peter Church. It's going to be an incredible show because not only being a pastor at a church in New Jersey, he's a vice postulator for the beatification cause of Maria Esperanza. Maybe many of you know about her. Probably many of you don't. She lived an incredible life. She's uh, Her process is uh, being studied for beatification. She was a mystic, and uh, Father's been working on this pretty much full-time since 2010. Now, who was Maria Esperanza? She was the central figure in the uh, apparitions in Batania, Venezuela. And I have to say, Father, uh, what got me so excited about Maria Esperanza, when I was just getting into Divine Mercy, just in the early phases, back in the early 90s, at that same time, a friend had sent me a photograph of a Eucharistic miracle from Batania, and I began to study Eucharistic miracles. And uh, I was on like a parallel track of studying divine mercy in the Eucharist. And as one gets into this, you realize it's one and the same. The Jesus in the image behind me is the Jesus in the Eucharist. Father Byerly knew Maria Esperanza since 1994, and uh, he's worked with the Roman postulator for the cause, Dr. Andrea Ambrosi. So, Father, how in the world did a priest from New Jersey get involved with Maria Esperanza? It's a good question to start with, Brian. Um, Maria Esperanza, you know, after the apparition, the main, the main apparition on March 25th, 1985 began and others subsequent to that in, in Venezuela, in that, that, that sanctuary called Britannia, Maria Esperanza started to receive invitations to travel and, and speak about the apparitions and the message of Our Lady. Uh, it, at that time, there was an awful lot of Marian conferences being held, uh, both in Latin America and North America. So it brought her to North America quite often. She was invited, and of course, the people would, would, would cover her expenses to come up. And uh, there, was a, there was a prayer group <clears throat> in New Jersey, the leaders of which I was friendly with, friendly with. And uh, when they would have Maurice Bronze in town, they would, in, they would invite me. And she came in rather frequently. It, it almost seemed like whenever she came to the United States, she would, she would make a, a detour one way or the other through New Jersey. And so she was here quite frequently. And I had the numerous opportunities to meet her at that time. I didn't go to too many of her, her services in those early days, uh, or I, I really weren't her services. She would what happened normally 
she'd be speaking at a conference or she would be at a large church and she would always want the priest, the pastor to say mass beforehand. And then she would speak afterwards and she would then receive the people one at a time. Uh, and sometimes, you know, a thousand people could be in that church and she would take each one individually, sometimes going to three, four, five a.m. in the morning uh, out of uh, sheer compassion for those those uh, souls that the Lord sent her. She said, sometimes the, the, the pastor would say, Miss Brown, look, just give everybody a blessing and, you know, we'll, we'll cut it. We'll cut it at midnight or we'll cut it at two. And so she said, no, those people came. The Lord sent them to me and I'm obliged and I'm not leaving until I until I see the last one. And so some people, it's ironic, some people would come and see a huge crowd and they would go home for a couple hours and come back and then get in the back, get, you know, the line had grown shorter, shorter, and they would jump right in there and, uh, and has had their moment with Maria Speranza. Didn't she have apparitions in an early age and then throughout her life? Yes, she, uh, she had uh, numerous mystical experiences throughout her life with various saints and our blessed mother, Jesus. It was just part and parcel of her interior life that, that she was gifted with, like we know of others. Uh, other extraordinary saints had those, those kind of blessings. I read an episode about her husband, meeting her husband. Wasn't, that, wasn't she even told how she would meet her husband? Yes, she was. She was told. I mean, it's a very long and beautiful story, which I, I, I think we would would be better saved for another day. But I can I can summarize it in the sense that she was sent to Rome, uh, and there she was indicated to her uh, through the mediation of Saint John Bosco that she would meet her husband on November first. The year was not specified, and that he be would, would be wearing a sword. And so, uh, so it unfolded in that way. And the, she met J.O.B. and Keeney on that day, uh, November 1st. And the, the sword that, that, that was part of the prophecy or part of the indication, the sign was very ironic because J.O.B. and Keeney at that time, young man, he was a, a member of this, this guard, this unit of guards that would, they were, ceremonial guards would wear uniforms with a sword when the, and they would accompany cardinals for special uh, uh, services that they had in the churches in Rome and so he was part of that guard so Maurice Franza met him on the first but later saw him then in his uniform with the sword and that's when it was you know it was clear to her that this was the one that was God had chosen for her because they had to have a mission together I mean uh, the Lord wanted her to be married that was the will of God. She tried it. She entered it kind of first, but that wasn't, that wasn't God's plan. And he made that clear. And so the man who was going to accompany her on this extraordinary mission that she would have both as a, as a mother and wife, but also as this uh, missionary would have to be the right man. And so the Lord arranged it and gave the indications to Mary Spronza so that that would happen that way. Didn't she know Padre Pio. Yes, when she, you know, when she uh, she entered the convent in the western, uh, far western end of, of Venezuela, and was only there maybe a week or ten days, and it was indicated to her through Saint Teresa of Lisieux that she was not supposed to be a nun, although she 
dearly wanted to give her life to the Lord in that fashion. She uh, was directed to go to Rome. She's in her young, she's in her, you know, her, her early 20s, and now she's, she's in the 1950s. There wasn't a lot of young people, anybody really traveled that much. But she went to Rome as a young girl, and there she had some contacts, and, and she was staying with some nuns in Rome. And uh, the, uh, when she was there, she met a couple, the Coley's, who were, who were very good friends of Padre Pio. And so they insisted on introducing her to Padre Pio, and he became then her spiritual director during that period in Rome for, for a while. But it was so far, San Giovanni Rotondo was so far from Rome that he eventually directed Maria Speranza to Father Capello, who was a uh, very famous spiritual director, Jesuit priest at the time in Rome, and, and, uh, and guided Maria Speranza through uh, the mystical life. Now, did I read correctly? Did, did she get the stigmata at some point in her life? Much later in her life, uh, she had the stigmata on, on Good Friday's visible stigmata only on that day. And did Padre Peel, was he involved in that or not really? Well, there was a, there was a, a kind of a transfer, if you will, when the day the Padre Pio died in September 1968, for exactly the exact day, but um, Maria Speranza was, was in Venezuela and she woke up and understood herself to be receiving a visit from Padre Pio, either verbally or even seeing him, I think it was more verbally, whatever. And he was, he said to her now, she said, he said, I am leaving and now you are, uh, you know, now you will be the one, the consolation. You will be the consolation for the people of God. So many words. Those are not exact words. As if you were passing the scepter on to her. Mm -hmm. And so that was, at that moment, she was discovered that he, in fact, passed away. And so there, there was this kind of sense of, of that, that God was going to continue to be with his people in the extraordinary ways that he, he was with Padre Pio. But now... In the person raised bronze and it turned out to be so so many thousands and thousands of souls were touched and consoled and healed and converted and encouraged and sustained well, sometimes with just a single five-minute meeting with maria Spronza. now let's talk about the blessed mother were the messages for maria alone or were they for the whole world and what were those, just those messages? Maria Speranza was the one who only wanted to receive them, but they were for the world. And the, the message that, the theme of the message is reconciliation. That is to say that the world had become so fractured, human, human family had become so fractured uh, on every level, you know, we're fractured, you see this today, right? Fractured yeah. politically, economically, we're fractured religiously, we're fractured uh, socially, but most of all, most painfully, we're fractured in the family. And so this message of Our Lady is so timely uh, that it comes to us, you know, when Our Lady appeared in Britannia, she came under the title Reconciler of All Peoples and Nations. And this is the, uh, this is the message that she wanted to communicate through Mir Spranza to the world, that we had to, we had to reconcile 
fraternal reconciliation and the healing of the family, because the only really way that society is going to be healed and reconciled is when the family is healed. The family uh, is, the, is the basic cell of society. Society passes by way of the family. When the family is broken, society is broken. When the family is, is, is united and healthy, society is healthy. And so in her, in her very mission, Rhea Bronza, her, her family is an example of family unity of what, you know, what a Christian family can be. And, uh, and so that's the message she brought with her it was a message of, of great hope, great joy, but also a clear message that unity and, and reconciliation, fraternal reconciliation were, were critical if we were to ever achieve peace as a, as a humanity. How did she describe what the Blessed Mother looked like? Well, there's a few. Uh, the, the description, one of the beautiful descriptions is in, is in my, uh, my biography of Maria Speranza. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I would refer people to that, to that you know, off the top of my head. I don't exactly know that, you know, I wouldn't want to be able to quote any features that, um, specific features, because I don't want to, Mis misrepresent or mislead anybody, but my biography entitled Miss Browns and the Grace of Britannia uh, is uh, there's a, there's a section in there about the the, the, saint, the main apparition that occurred in uh, uh, on March 25th, 1984, and subsequent to that, when Miss Browns was giving her testimony to the bishop, Bishop Pio Bayo, on these extraordinary events. She described in a letter uh, the the nature of Our Lady, how what what the contours and what she looked like when she came. She wasn't the only visionary that day, though. That 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 particular day, the March twenty fifth, nineteen eighty or eighty four vision was one hundred fifty people saw Our Lady on that day, and uh, they all can recall what she looked like. Uh, family members and other other spiritual sons and daughters, Maria Bronza. So, but I couldn't, you know, give you a description right. like uh, off the top of my head, so, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to mis, mis, misquote. Right? Give, give that name of that again. Is that still in print, or how can people get that? Yes, it's called Maria Esperanza and the Grace of Britannia. I, I authored that. That's the uh, the first biography of Maria Esperanza, and uh, it can be obtained through. Uh, www.batania2.org. Two is in number two. Okay, www.batania2.org. And that is how you can, for people who are interested in obtaining that book, that's how they would acquire it. What did the Blessed Mother ask other than people try to reconcile? Was there, did she talk about, you know, uh, reparation? Was there fasting or? or... Well, her, her, principal uh, encouragement was the rosary, family rosary, the, the, uh, the uh, return to the sacraments and penance and Eucharist and so forth. But she said that um, this, this family unity, this, 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 that she wasn't just giving a dictum, you know, like go fix your family, your family's broken, your families are broken, go for it. No, rather she said, Essentially, as, as Bishop Pio Bayo says, Our Lady's uh, was more a question of Our Lady's presence than her words. 
but what she wanted to say and communicate to everyone was that she came to help us reconcile our families and reconcile with people that were, were estranged from. She didn't, wasn't just a, you know, a, a, a directive, an order to go fix your families, good luck, hope, hope, hope you can do it, you know? It was rather that now begin the process of healing and I'm going to be there to be the, uh, the intercessor and advocate of that healing. So turning to Our Lady as the source of the healing for the family. Was there any unusual mystical experiences she had uh, other than the apparitions, which are unique? In the so country? many, Brian, so many. I mean, all of the classic, you know, the, the people would, in her presence, in Maurice Bronze's presence, people would experience the scent of roses. There would be the appearance of, of uh, mystical appearance of, of uh, rose petals. There would be a, uh, she had the gift of to read souls. She had the gift of, there were occasions that, you know, it appears she had the gift of by location. She had the gift of healing, the gift of deliverance. Uh, she had the gift of discernment, discernment of spirits. She had the gift of being able to discern objects if they were blessed or not, or evil or not. Um, she had just the whole array of, of mystical gifts that we have read about in, in the extraordinary mystics of of our of the church over the centuries. Wasn't there one apparition where several thousand saw the Blessed Mother? Well, no, there was one apparition which about 150 people saw Our Lady. But after that, uh, when that kind of that that exploded onto the scene in in uh, in Batania, many pilgrims began to make pilgrimages to Batania. And many of them saw Our Lady. And so the Bishop Pio Bello said in his final, his conclusive letter on Britannia, the, uh, which uh, you know, declared it to be a, of, of authentic and, and supernatural nature, he said that he estimated somewhere between one and 2,000 uh, people saw Our Lady. But the definitive one, and that they were brief uh, visions of Our Lady at, at, at Britannia, but the, the the turning point, the one that was so critical was the, the one that occurred on March 25th, 1984, because that covered about, you know, that covered a couple of hours, uh, over a couple of hours, Lady appeared on, on uh, seven occasions for five or seven minutes each, except for the last apparition in which she, she appeared for 30 minutes and they thought Our Lady was never going to leave them. So that was a really, in church history, that was one of the extraordinary apparitions approved by the church. Yeah, that's real important to note, Father, as you said, it's approved, and I believe it's the fourth apparition of the Blessed Mother approved in this last century. And uh, now, wasn't there a Eucharistic miracle in Batania as well? There was. Um, you know, again, after the, the major apparition, March 25th, 1984, which, by the way, coincided with the, the Pope's consecration, JP2 consecrated our, our the whole world to Our Lady in Rome on that day, brought over the statue of Fatima from Rome, uh, from, from Fatima to Rome for, for that consecration. Um, there, there was a, there was this, there, people started to come in big crowds, right? And so they, Bishop Pio Bale authorized a, a mass to be celebrated there on feast days and Sundays. And there was a priest by the name of Father Odie, who was 
a member of the of the clergy of Los Teques, a diocese where Batania is located, of which Bishop Pio Bay was, was at that time the ordinary. And he was celebrating mass, but a large crowd was there that day. Maurice Bronze was there. And when he was celebrating mass, he he noticed as he as he performed the fractio panis, the, the breaking of the bread, that it looked like a red, uh, first it looked like a red dot, but then it grew larger and it looked like the host was bleeding. And so he uh, put that portion of the host down and didn't really say anything to anybody and later showed it. Bishop Pio Bear then was, was required to examine this host and the portion that was seemed to be stained with a red fluid of some sort, see what whether this was uh, an authentic Eucharistic miracle or not. And he had it examined by several uh, top-notch forensic uh, scientists in, in Caracas and different, different communities of the scientific world or the scientific community, different uh, members of the scientific community examined it. And they, uh, they, they declared that it was human blood. And so to this day, it's no longer, that, that host is still uh, maintained in a monstrance in, in a convent in Los Teques, in the Diocese of Los Teques. And uh, it's quite a, quite a distance, it's about two hour drive, I think, from Batania, but nevertheless, pilgrims do make that journey there to go and, and venerate the, uh, the Eucharistic miracle. So the Bishop Biopeo had to, had to recognize the fact that there was something supernatural here. That how could human blood appear uh, in that host? And, uh, and how is the host continued to be maintained today with that blood stain on it? And so that, that occurred, I think in 91, two, somewhere around there. And uh, so that's what, 30, 30 some years now, right? No, 40, 30, yeah, 30 some years. Now, getting back, so you met Maria Esperanza, and then what led you and your heart to feel you were going to get involved with the beatification uh, process? Well, I really didn't get too involved with Maria Esperanza, other than these. I had some beautiful moments of private visits with her because, like I say, my friends were the ones who hosted at her when she was in town. I might join them for dinner. I might have the opportunity uh, to see Maria Esperanza uh, privately wherever she was staying for a while, you know, and, and you have the, when you encounter somebody like that, you have the sense of, of the extraordinary spirituality that, that lays deep within them. Well, I really wasn't too involved with her, except uh, then it, it happened in 2004, in March of 2004, Maurice Bronson was, was in New Jersey. I wasn't even aware of it, in fact. But she, her, her health was declining very, very rapidly under uh, the conditions of, of uh, Parkinson's illness. And she, it seemed like they were going to lose her. You know, she, she had trouble breathing and, and was system, you know, was, was beginning, organs were starting to shut down. So she was at Long Beach Island, New Jersey. And they, they, the family took her to the uh, Southern Ocean County Memorial Hospital in uh, near, not far, not far from Long Beach Island. And 
since they thought they were going to lose her, my friends called me and asked me if I would come and anoint her, celebrate mass for her in her ICU unit, which they permitted us, they permitted us to do. And so I did that. And Maurice Bronza, then a few days later, she made a little recovery, went back to the home in Long Beach Island. And I started to go up to celebrate mass for her and her family. All, meantime, all of her family came in from Venezuela. They weren't sure what was going to happen with her and her. Her, all her, her spouse and her grandchildren. They're staying in a large house of a friend in, in Long Beach Island. And so every evening I would go out, not, not, not initially every evening, I would go out once a week, then twice a week, and I, other priests, many other priests uh, as well. Uh, we would celebrate Mass for the everybody gathered there at that occasion, it was the, the entire family plus other visitors who were coming. And Maria Sponza was there. And then towards the end, I'd say to maybe the last two weeks of her life, she died on August 4th, 2004. I say the last uh, two weeks of her life, I was up there every night and celebrating mass or consolidating mass. And I, as Providence would have it on August the 6th, that evening around, I guess around nine o'clock or so, when I celebrated the mass, that was her last mass and her last time she received Holy Communion. She died at 4.36 a.m., I think, the following morning on the 7th. And she was immediately, uh, the family had a funeral director come in and she was immediately embalmed and brought back to the house because you, there was now going to be about a two-week delay to get her back down to Venezuela to all the legal uh, the legalities and paperwork was provided to transport the body. So we continued to have those masses. And that's when my, relationship with her and her family was solidified. After that, 2004, after that, after Maria's bronze was returned, her body was returned and buried there. I started to make regular visits down to Venezuela to visit her family and visit the grave of Maria's bronze. And it's, I was going down maybe two, three times a year. So when it came time for the cause to be proposed, uh, it would seem it seemed fitting to the family and the Tanya Foundation that, that I, I, I could uh, I could serve in that capacity. So that's what that's what I did. Now her work kind of lives on, if I read correctly. Uh, what's going on in Batania right now? With her well, there, of course, she she established a foundation to carry on her mission, her spiritual mission, uh, promotion of reconciliation, family unity. A life of prayer and closeness and working for the church and so forth. And uh, that, that community is hundreds of people in Venezuela. And also there are about 20, uh, 22, three, I forget exactly how many now, but there's somewhere around 20 plus communities around the world, different locations, Spain, Rome, a, a, num a number in the United States, Peru, uh, Argentina. There was one developing in France. I don't know if that, there's one in England. Uh, so these communities are basically prayer, prayer groups, prayer communities that live and, and, and express the spirituality of Batania and Maurice Bronze, reconciliation, family unity, and try to spread that in, in the spirit in which Maurice Bronze uh, uh, did that very work herself. So this 
momentum or this spirituality continues to have great life and uh and effect in the church uh in beautiful ways and the family you know as you know the family's fallen on hard times and the healing of the family is so uh so important at this moment and to have this message and this spirituality this family spirituality and this hope of the help of our lady to heal the family uh it has survived miss bronzer now for she died in 2004 right so we're coming up on uh, on 20 years and uh seems to be only flourishing and growing now are there materials in english uh, to guide these groups or what do the groups actually do well all those things could be could be obtained uh plenty of information about Maurice Bronza on uh, www.mauricebronza.org, www.batania.org. This is, these two sites are from the uh, Batania Foundation themselves, and they, uh, they promote as much as possible spirituality. There's a newsletter, there's uh, prayer cards, there are uh, prayer books, not so easily obtainable, but she, uh, she, she did compose numerous prayers and chaplets. There is the biography that I mentioned and uh, so a word continues to get out. And there's a great interest in obtaining these beautiful statues of Our Lady Reconciled of All Peoples and Nations, which are, they're kind of rare at the moment because of, of the COVID and the ability to get, get them manufactured and shipped, but uh, they, they are, they are uh, a real treasure, let me tell you, people like to have them. Are they available through that, those websites? Or how would how would person get the statue of Our Lady? Uh, I the statue. I'm not sure that I think that's. I think until the COVID passes, they're not going to be able to do too much about that. But the other materials that I mentioned would go either to the two websites I just mentioned: www.mariasbronza.org, www.batania.org, and then for the biography again: www.batania2 as number two: batania b e or B-A, Betania, B-E-T-A-N-I-A, B-E-T-A-N-I-A, two.org. Now, what's up with the uh, progression of the beatification? Has there, has there been a miracle? Or are you waiting on a miracle? Or what's Well, the, uh, the, the beatification clause was open in, in the Diocese of Metuchen, New Jersey on January 31st, 2010. And uh, we started off with some pretty, pretty strong uh, momentum. And then it, it, uh, there was a change of, of uh, personnel in various, various places and things kind of slowed down. But I'm very, very happy to report now that the, that the, the cause has, has gained new legs, new, new enthusiasm, new momentum in the Archdiocese of Caracas. Hmm. So uh, that's, that's the... That's the great news that, that we're happy to be able to report. Good. But in terms of, you know, you can't really give any timing or dates on anything like that. You can't really say, you know, it takes X number of months, X number of years. It's all very providential. You know, how God highlights given souls and where the, the fame of sanctity, where the, where, the, where the Catholics, ordinary Catholics kind of galvanize around a given person and, and, appreciate the fact that they lived a life of heroic virtue that's worth imitating 
as well as seeking her intercession or the person's intercession for favors from heaven and seeing those favors uh, multiply as they are, as they are. Uh, Maria Sparrows is a powerful intercessor. Graces and favors being granted in many, many ways uh, uh, through her intercession. So these, these are the, uh, the, what shall we say, the concrete evidence that God is pointing to Maria Sparrows. At the same time, there's, as you know, hundreds of causes uh, before the church right now, before the Congregation of Causes of Saints. So how they get prioritized and who, uh, you know, that how the Holy, Holy Spirit highlights one or this one or that one to kind of work its way through the system rather rapidly. And uh, these, these are all matters that are in the hands of God, why, why we cannot calculate that. Well, Father, um, any closing thoughts before we wrap up today's show of Mercy Unbound on Maria Esperanza? Well, I think it's, it behooves everyone to take an interest in, in this person's life, Maria Esperanza, especially as I say, you know, the, she was a, such, a, such a gracious woman, such a loving woman, and filled with, with these extraordinary mystical gifts but yet never used them only at the service of God and never exalted them or herself. She's the, a wonderful model of motherhood and her family is a, is, a, is a wonderful model of family life. While we are, while we are laboring under uh, many attacks on the family today, she's a great defender of the family and a great uh, intercessor and promoter of the family life. And through that, you know, we can even begin and we say, how, how, is the, how is humanity going to reconcile? It's, it's a mess, right? How are, we going to put, how are we going to create unity in humanity? Well, we start with our own families, one family at a time. And as Our Lady helps us to heal one family at a time, then slowly and slowly, society is healed. And so, or it can happen rapidly. You know, there can be a major wake up, a major recognition of well, what have we been doing? You know, we've just been, we've, we've, we've lost the, the sense of the sacredness of marriage the sacredness of human sexuality, the sacredness of, of the family life, the sacredness of the conception and rearing of children. And, and we can have, you can have a, you could even have a mass awakening on those, on those issues. And so how do we climb out of that with the help of our lady reconciler of all peoples and nations. So I, I would recommend families and all families to look to her as, 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 a, as an intercessor, as a guide, as a helper, as a, as a model uh, in this day and age. Well, Father, I really appreciate you joining me today on Mercy Unbound. All the best in the work up in New Jersey and uh, God bless you for your work and people uh, hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, subscribe and share with your friends and contacts and God bless each and every one of you. Thank you, Brian, and God bless your work, too. Thank you. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel for the video portion. The podcast can be heard at anchor.fm slash drbryan, B-R-Y-A-N, Thatcher, T-H-A-T-C-H-E-R, and on all the major podcast forums. I would love to speak at your church or conference, and please consider supporting our efforts to spread the truth to a hurting world. Thank you again. And for more information, go to the website at drbryanthatcher.com.